This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 28. This is Writing Excuses. What do writers get wrong with Wild Style? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we have special guest star Wild Style. Thank you so much. How y'all doing? We're doing all right. <laughs> uh, and we are live at Gen Con. <laughs> um, yeah. Awesome. So we're so excited to have you on. And just to give the readers a... The readers. <laughs> Just to give our listeners a little bit of a, a grounding in, in who you are and, and so that they know that you don't exist along just a single axis, tell them a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I'm a lifelong musician. Um, I actually started out as a violist Ooh. Uh, when I was 11. And I am also spent 15 years working on cars and equipment and such. And I kind of, I'm also a community organizer as well. And I'm also a hip-hop producer and manager. So of these various identities and professions, which are we going to focus on today? We're going to focus on the hip-hop production, producer, and managing. Awesome. So I'm so excited about this. What do writers get wrong about hip-hop production? Um, I would say writers normally forget that there uh, there is even an artist-producer relationship. Yeah. And that, that's like one of the most uh, important things, even in the music that you hear on the radio. Like, I don't know if, if y'all listen to Drake, but he has a producer slash engineer called 40. And that guy is responsible for his sound. He's the one that picks the, a lot of the beats and, and mixes it and makes Drake sound like you're used to hearing them. And without that guy... Drake wouldn't sound like the person that you've ever heard. And you've already, I majored in music composition and sound recording technology and a long time ago and <laughs> uh, back before anything was digital. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> there we go. Um, and, and when I was doing this, there was the artist there was the engineer and there was the producer. The idea of there being a producer slash engineer, at least where I was doing this, was not a thing. And so you, you've, already, you've already broken one of my rules in my head. Tell me how that works. How do you be a producer and an engineer? Well, I mean, in hip-hop, um, in the early days, people were doing it, and I think still now, because we all don't make that much money. Drake <laughs> like does. writing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I see a lot of parallels, but there, there's not a lot of money to be had, uh, especially at the, the aspiring level, and, and which most people are. And therefore, if you only compose music and make beats uh, for an artist, you're going to have a hard time. So, mo you know, not most people, but a, a good portion of producers actually learn to, to record and engineer the artists. In fact, a lot of artists engineer themselves, or they can if, if necessary, um, uh, Lil Wayne was one of those who would actually mix himself as a rough mix and then give it to one of four engineers in the world and, and let them play around with the concepts that he had came up with. So, you know, this is it's really common for artists and producers to dabble in several different areas in, in the in the uh, 
you know, the music uh, so that they get the sound that they want or just because they want to experiment. So, so for me, because I come from classical music violin, okay. <laughs> um, the, what it sounds like to, to translate for my, for my own brain, when you're talking about people adding beats and things, it sounds like they're actually participating in the composition process as well. A lot of times, um, and that, that's another thing, I think on when, when you see it in the movies and stuff that sometimes they overdo the, 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 uh, the artist participating in that process. I think with modern hip hop, and I, and I don't think it's a good thing, but that's, that doesn't happen as much. And uh, it definitely, when it does happen, it doesn't happen the way it happens in movies. There's, if if their uh, artist is participating and th- great things are happening with the composition as it's happening, it is because they have a, a relationship and they have built that over time and, they, and the producer knows what the artist is capable of, not always what they like, <laughs> but what they're capable of and what, what they're going to be good at, and that's how that, they, that happens. And that it, it's just not, you know, people don't see that. Okay, you're, you're using some shorthand here that, that may be going right past our listeners. Okay. Um, when you say, you know, the artist participating... The artist in a in a hip hop album, they are responsible for the the lyrical work, the rhyming, the 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 part that the part that our linguistic processors mm-hmm. get. The producer engineer is the one who's doing the the beat composition. If there are melodic elements, that's them. And and see, but oftentimes um, in modern hip hop, the artist will go um, not have as great a relationship, like the, especially aspirants, they will find like just random instrumentals on YouTube or something and start and write a song to it. But mm-hmm. when you, most successful artists have good relationships with their producers so that they're not going on YouTube and picking a random instrumental. They're actually sitting down with one person and they will, they will either be in the studio with them or they will have been in the studio or, and tell them, hey, send me this, send me that. I want something that's dark. I want something that's vibrant. I want something this tempo. And that's, uh, you know, the stuff you hear on the, on the radio, The even the successful underground artists, they typically work with fewer producers and they all have personal relationships with them. So why don't you, uh, because I think this will be useful for our listeners, why don't you walk us through the process of, of starting a new work? How okay. does that go? Well, depending on the artist, I have um, a handful of artists that I work with and not not much more than that. And so I record, um, I engineer the music, and I uh, compose a lot of the music. So oftentimes they may come to me and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for this, not a, a dark sound, and or I want this type of feel, or they'll reference me other songs and either I'll come up with that or I will find something that I've already composed and I will send it to them or, or play it for them in the studio. Also, how this works is that I can be doodling and come up with this amazing composition. And I'm like, I think this would be perfect for so-and-so. And I either I'll wait till they get in the studio, which I prefer to do so I can see the real reaction. <laughs> or... <laughs> Or I'll take a chance and email it to them and hope that they're not emailing it to everybody else 
to, 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 to see what they think and, and check out what I'm doing. But oftentimes, that's how things get started. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go ahead and stop. Um, you're going to pitch an album to us, right? Yes. Um, this is an album that I executive produced for an artist named Pope Adrian Bless, and you can find them on the web, popeadrianbless.com. Um, it's only three tracks uh, long, but I engineered and produced all of that along with uh, my friend uh, Aries. He produced, or he composed one of the, uh, the, uh, the instrumentals on there and I actually mixed and recorded all of it. And it's uh, probably different than what y'all have heard um, it combines lyricism with uh, a lot of sonic, um, a, a sonic uh, sound that's not common with lyrical rap. So, what, what's the album called? Eastern Conference, and you can find that on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Title, whatever you have, Apple Music. Awesome. <laughs> so, when earlier when I said you'd you know you'd you'd crossed the uh, the producer engineer boundary that I thought was a sacrosanct thing. <laughs> and then you're describing your process. I'm like, oh, yeah, you also crossed the composer-engineer boundary <laughs> and the performer-composer boundary. And the, the orchestrator boundary. Yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, the amount, when, you, when I hear the word producer, I think of the guy who sits in the back of the studio and just basically is grouchy. <laughs> because do you, do you do that too? Um, I'm notorious for, for being that person. <laughs> okay. but, but what you've described, what you've described really is is ninety percent of what people hear. It's it's just it's like the whole process and the artist happens to be standing out front and making meat noises with the face hole. <laughs> and you know, that, that is... Doing a, it really well. But, but I agree with you, and sometimes in the past, not, not so much with my current artists, I had to remind them that this is all more like a, a NASCAR race where I'm your crew chief and you're in, a, in the car. And, yeah, you need me as much as I need you. You're the crew chief and the pit crew and the tires and the car and a large portion of the track. (laughs) Sometimes it feels that way. (laughs) I was having a great time. I could, this is, wow, this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, so I've been thinking about this, you know, this exact topic as you're describing this and realizing that it sounds like this is much more collaborative than the kind of author-editor relationship, which is what I assumed that it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
so I, I'm wondering, and maybe this is, this is a weird subject to bring up, but I'm wondering a little bit about the issue of credit. Like, because you mentioned earlier Drake, and I know Drake, and I've listened to Drake. I had no idea who his producer was. Is that just me being an idiot, or? Um, I think, like... You can say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that, but I think, like, <laughs> most um, hip-hop aficionados and, and people that are really deep into hip-hop would automatically know that this producer is 40. Okay. So, and, and, and the sound they've crafted over the years, he's been there... Uh, almost from the very beginning. Wow. Well, okay. We have been schooled there. Um, so when you are, we, we've talked a little bit about the things that that are annoying. Um, what are some things that our readers could do, or I keep saying readers, yeah. our <laughs> listeners could do for their readers um, to, to make it uh, seem more real, to make it seem more grounded? I would say... Focus on the relationship because the relationship is up and down. Um, at the same time, especially if the artist is a big-time artist or they're making a little bit of money or they've got a, a, a growing fan base, um, there's going to be plenty of other producers that want to come in and wreck that relationship or get in so that they can take advantage and then they'll have their work out there. They can possibly make money or they can get bigger opportunities and that often can be um, a bigger issue. You often see in the hip-hop uh, scene that the artists and producers will end up Twitter beefing off of the just the weirdest stuff. Um, and I don't know how many of y'all listen to Future, but Future and Young Thug had a beef over their producer, Metro Boomin, and they were all on Twitter just acting crazy <laughs> uh, over this, and it was because of a little bit probably jealousy over that they both have the same producer and and some felt that that they had more better hits with them than the other one. Glad that never happens with writers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they write for a living, so they know how to go on Twitter and always, you know, <laughs> their emotions to the side. So, can you point us towards some depictions, some media depictions in in books or TV or movies of hip hop production and that producer relationship? That that you think are are accurate, that you think have done a good job, or can you point us towards some that are terrible? Um, I would say, and this isn't really hip hop as you would think of it, but the James Brown movie about his the biopic uh, "Get On Up" mm-hmm. um, was a, and, and I I don't think they quite got it right, but uh, Bobby Bird was like a big key to James Brown's sound, and he stayed with them, and when they finally fell out for the last time, James Brown's career went down. It was very, very quick. And in the, in towards the late 70s, James Brown never did have a, another hit. Oh, so this producer-artist relationship is is much older than I was mm-hmm. realizing it was in that. Fascinating. So with uh, as we're kind of wrapping up, um, since I, I do love watching people rant, Pick a thing that makes you kind of want to just flip the table. <laughs> You're asking him to go Twitter beef and live. <laughs> right. Which not, I do too much of, not, uh, by the way. No, he can pick a fictional example. He can pick... But, but the, the pet peeve... Because one of the things that I think is very telling 
in, in fiction is when someone is doing a process that is so annoying. Like, what is it that is so annoying to you when you are doing your job that you just kind of want to flip the table sometimes? Oh, as being a producer? Uh-huh. Oh, um, I think it's artists to think they know everything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oftentimes you, you will, you know, people that you know, sometimes they get a little ahead of themselves and they want to tell you how to do your job as the composer and as the engineer. And, and they have all these ideals and some of them have good ideals and some of them have really bad ideals. And uh, sometimes you're expected to try to piece together really bad ideals. And when it doesn't work, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Wildstyle, for being on the podcast with us. Uh, did you have homework or a writing prompt for our listeners? I would say um, if you haven't seen the movie, get on up to watch it because that's that gives an interesting dynamic of of some of the things that, that hip, not hip-hop, but hip-hop was founded on that, but how artists have this tension with their producers and their management and everything else about the sound. And I think that would that would help the writing and understanding how hip hop producers. Yeah. Do. And if I can echo that, which we don't usually do during the writing prompt, um, the the things that you are describing, it is impossible to write these things well without listening, yes. without yeah. hearing the music, and learning to put into your ears and kind of into your heart the sorts of things that you're describing happening in the studio. So, and that and that movie's a movie's really smart. Yeah, it is. It is. I would recommend everybody watch that if, if they're interested in writing about hip-hop or, or music in general. All right. Well, thank you so much, and thank you to our audience. <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go listen. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.